Welcome to episode number 81 of the Dust Safety Science Podcast. This is the podcast where we're building a global community around process safety and industries handling combustible dust. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Cloney. In today's episode, we're talking about what is reduced explosion pressure, PRED. Do that, we have on the call Burke Dissotel, Vice President of Aftermarket Engineering with IEP Technologies. Burke is based out of Marlboro, Massachusetts. He has over 25 years experience in explosion protection, explosion protection system design. He sits on NFPA Technical Committee 654, 664, and NFPA 91. Burke, I want to give you a big welcome and say a big thank you for coming on the Dust Safety Science Podcast today. Hi, Chris. Uh, thanks for having me here. I'm glad to, glad to join. So Burke has extensive experience in design of explosion protection systems, a pretty long career in this area. He presented at Digital Dust Safety Conference 2020 on explosion isolation options for different equipment. And after that, we got talking and connected on the topic of reduced pressure and choosing the right reduced pressure for your explosion protection system design. We thought this would be a really good uh, topic to have on the podcast. I know there's a lot of questions around this. We get it quite a bit, um, especially with specific types of equipment or buildings where it's hard to estimate these parameters, and then they go into your explosion system design. Both underestimating and overestimating can, can cause problems, and we'll, we'll get into that in this episode. So in this episode, we're going to talk about what is reduced pressure, why is it important to accurately estimate this parameter, how do different equipment and explosion protection systems vary when estimating this parameter, and are there some materials that are inherently more difficult from Burke's experience to, to look at with these sort of systems as well. So, Burke, maybe a good place to jump in is, can you just give a little bit of background on your role at uh, IEP Technologies? Sure. Um, I've been with IEP Technologies and formerly Fenwell Safety Systems for over 25 years. I started in the system design group as an application engineer. When every job is sold with an active suppression or isolation system, an application engineer is assigned to the job to develop the system drawings, coordinate with the customer, help the mechanical and electrical installers to properly locate the equipment as well as electrically and mechanically install the equipment properly. And if needed, perform site surveys to be able to um, perform X marks to spot on the customer's equipment to, uh, again, to locate the equipment properly. After doing that for a number of years, um, I went into outside sales, which is basically an application engineer that just travels a lot. And during these two roles, I've come across a lot of applications where I'd be collecting information to design systems, either myself or with the colleague at the office, and collecting the information, geometry of the vessel is pretty straightforward, either drawings, you pull out a tape measure, the combustibility of the dust, either the customer has that information or you test it, and the process um, temperature and process operating pressures you can, you can readily uh, get from the customers as well. But the strength of the vessel or what P-RED you should design to is always one of the most challenging pieces of the ingredients that are required for an overall explosion protection system. So as you mentioned, uh, after you and I talked um, during the last uh, webinar we did, we, we thought this would be an interesting topic for, uh, for folks to hear about my experiences and your experiences with, uh, with p- resultant reduced pressures and explosion protection. Yeah, and I've, I've gotten it quite a bit actually over the the years this question and it really does take a level of expertise to do it somebody you know you don't really want to just go using any number you come up with it takes some level of experience to to, uh, to come up with these so i don't think in this episode um, somebody listed is going to be able to maybe estimate these parameters right out of the gate but hopefully you can give some some ideas on some of the things to consider 
around estimating this parameter for your your system design. So you, you sort of touched on it a bit, but what what is reduced pressure and how does it relate to the enclosure strength and, and why do we care about these parameters when we're designing safety systems? Reduced pressure or PRED is a very literal term. It is the resultant or reduced pressure when a combustible deflagration event inside a vessel is either vented or suppressed. So when you provide explosion venting for a particular application, you size your vent area based upon the volume, L over D considerations, the combustibility of the dust, the location of the panel. And the NFPA 68 calculations tell you how much effective vent area is required for a given P-red, P-reduced. The P-reduced needs to be lower than what the actual pressure, uh, pressure strength of the vessel itself. So NFPA 68 is actually very, very um, detailed and explicit in that the, the P-red should be two-thirds of the yield strength if no deformation is desired, or it can be two-thirds of the strength of the vessel if some deformation is permissible. Yeah, and it's often pretty, uh, you see this this diagram to explain what P, P-red is, and we're on audio podcast, so it's going to be hard, to, but I'll try to explain it. If you had a really strong vessel that was, you know, much stronger than the explosion and you measured pressure inside, you get this, you know, nice increase to a maximum pressure and then then the vessel will start cooling down once um, all the oxygen is consumed. But if you have a vessel that's not strong enough to withstand that pressure, then you have some P design pressure of that vessel or some maximum pressure it can withstand before deforming, before fracturing. If the pressure of the explosion is higher than that, then you're going to have a, you know, rupture or, or deformation of that vessel. So the whole point of the venting or suppression then is to keep that pressure lower than those uh, those ultimate conditions that can cause failure. And, and like you said, there's specific conditions in NFPA 68 for how low it needs to be in terms of the yield strength of the vessel and then how that goes into the design. And just in terms of how it does go into the venting design, the equations for that and the, the information needed are all contained within NFPA 68. Is that, is that correct? That's correct, Chris. So what are the different ways that this reduced pressure are used then? Why, why does it need to be estimated accurately? Because if you inaccurately size or select your P-RED, then the selected protection equipment, whether it be venting or suppression, uh, could be either greatly oversized or, in the worst case scenario, undersized. And that's the worst case scenario. Is you don't want to select a P-RED that's too high, higher than what the vessel can actually handle because then you might get a false sense of security that the protection system is going to provide you the, uh, the protection that you need if the deflagration were to occur. And on the other side, is there, is there issues with being too conservative? Yeah, that, that happens a lot. Uh, a lot of times, um, the first proposal, the first crack at the apple, let's say, for a system design, um, a customer might select a, a, a relatively low P-RED. So then we have to put a lot of extra protection in place to, to achieve that P-RED. And, and sometimes it might not even um, be possible, you know, given the potential application, how much surface area do you have for venting, how many extinguishers can you locate on a vessel effectively to be able to deploy agent to suppress the fireball before it does reach those pressures that become destructive inside the vessel. Yes, yeah, so that makes sense. And are there different differences between different types of equipment i'm thinking um you know a closed vessel versus maybe ducting or you know how how does this change determining this parameter between different equipment sure the the, uh, the most simplistic case is uh, round vessels or or ducts are stronger than uh, flat or 
rectangular ducts. Um, Factory Mutual in 7-76 states that if you're sizing venting for a vessel of unknown strength, they recommend that you use 0.2 bar or about 3 PSI for a rectangular vessel. And they recommend that you use 0.3 or about 4, 4.5, 5 PSI for a, uh, a round or a circular vessel. So those are the you know, parameter that Factory Mutual has established over their years of testing and um, investigating these types of combustion events that, that seem reasonable for sizing events. That makes sense. And would that be the sort of range that you'd see then in these applications when you're doing these designs between 0.2 and point to 0.3 bars or you know, cases where you'd be outside that as well? Hopefully they're slightly higher than that. Um, most new equipment manufacturers, whether it be a dust collector, a spray dryer, cyclone, some of the common pieces of equipment that we come across, um, they've spent the time and effort to analyze their designs. They have standard practices for um, different types of their equipment that they offer. So typically we see in the U.S., North America in particular, we see about 0.3 to 0.4 bar is a typical range for um, most of the uh, rectangular type vessels and dust collectors that we come across. And they might be slightly higher with uh, cyclones, round vessels. And in the case of mills, which tend to be really strong um, just because of their mechanical nature and the loading that they have to uh, withstand while they're uh, creating uh, grinding and size reduction and, and crushing the materials, uh, they tend to be a lot stronger and they can be very easily in a one uh, to two bar range, which is you know, 15 to 20 to 30 PSI. That makes sense. And I think I probably know the answer to this, but why are the square vessels lower than the, the round vessels for um, maximum strength that they can withstand before they start to deform? Sure. It, it just comes into um, basic mechanical engineering and uh, strength of materials. And when you have a flat vessel that's loaded to a pressure, um, you're going to see deformation a lot easier at the midpoint. And uh, there's the potential for that bending to lead to shear that could cause the rupture. Um, in that vessel itself, whereas a round vessel has a geometric design that uh, can, that can handle those uh, the hoop pressure a lot a lot better than a flat rectangular vessel. Yeah, that makes sense. And do you get you, you might get you know stress buildup and and things in the corners of the the vessel if it has corners. So if it's square, then it's going to have these corners that would be weaker than like you said the hoop strength of a of a round um, circular can, if you will. Right, right. I mean, we're talking about the basic geometry of the vessel and the stresses that they need to withstand during a pressure loading. In most cases, it's the, uh, the tube sheets in the, uh, in the bag house. It's a latch configuration on a door, an access door. They, those tend to be the, uh, the weak links when you do an overall, either a finite element or an engineering analysis for what types of pressures a vessel may be able to withstand. That makes sense. And I just want to grab... You, you mentioned the FM data sheet. I want to make sure that we have the right number for that. Do you, do you know what the data sheet number was? Sure, 7-76. We'll put that in the show notes. We'll try to get a link to it and put it in the show notes at dustsafetyscience.com slash 81 so that anyone's listening in can, can look at that as well. Sure, there's a wealth of information in 7-76 with regards to uh, explosion protection and venting versus suppression, isolation. And, and different types of vessels. So it's a, it's a good document to, uh, to become familiar with if explosion protection is going to be your field of engineering. Yeah, and is, are there differences between this, the different types of protection options? If you're looking at venting versus suppression, would you be estimating PRED differently? 
Um, yes and no. Um, P-red is, is really needs to be a function of the strength of the vessel. But when you're sizing venting, it, it tends to be easier to be more conservative. It's, it, it's easier to take a lower uh, P-red value, meaning you need more vent area. Uh, assuming you, you don't go too low or you're not that confined by surface area. So every application is different. Every application needs to be looked at. You need to have a safe vent area to be able to allow the fire fireball to propagate to safe area. But if you have enough surface area, it's a lot easier to use a lower P-red with venting. When you're sizing suppression, you're kind of governed by the, uh, the application, the characteristics of the dust, the KST and P-max the size of the volume, and the, uh, the L over D characteristics, the fireball and result in reduced pressure and a vessel that where an L over D is greater than two is much more severe than if it were not or considered a compact vessel. So when you're dealing with suppression, you put in your inputs, you determine how many extinguishers are, are required, um, the software modeling that we use takes into account the KST pressure time curve, so we know what the fireball growth is. Um, we know how fast our detectors detect and how fast our agent is discharged, so we perform heat extraction calculations, and then we compare that to the pressure time curve that the dust would produce in that size vessel, and then we, we have that resultant P-RED for the application. So once you get that P-RED, you add your nitrogen contribution from the extinguishers because all of the extinguishers are, are filled with suppression agent and charged with nitrogen to discharge the agent out quickly. That nitrogen gets added to the P-RED as well. So that's the resultant pressure is not only the suppression from the fireball growth that gets suppressed, but also the nitrogen contribution. So you can add more extinguishers to try to lower P-RED but you eventually run into the large diminishing returns that the nitrogen contribution will eventually offset whatever P-red reduction benefit you get from the suppression. So you've got a little bit of latitude that you can, you can work with to try to get to a P-red to a certain point with suppression. Um, but a lot of times, once you get that good suppression, um, that's kind of the number you have to live with. And how, how sensitive is this analysis to things like the combustibility parameters of the, the materials? Can people just use any sort of numbers that they get out of textbooks or they should be encouraged to test their own specific dust or where do you normally fall in that conversation? Sure. Um, if, if you're working with agricultural dust, I, I think it's, it's okay to, to start with the uh, NFPA has a lot of published data and NFPA 68 and their annex on combustibility parameters for different dust. Uh, but every app, Application is um, particle size, moisture content, as well as whatever that chemical composition of the dust is and what its propensity to oxidize might be, that whole KST value. Um, moisture and particle size are going to impact the KST as well. So it might be a good starting point to get your designs and start uh, getting the juices flowing on what type of hardware you're looking at and how to locate them. But um, myself personally, as well as NFPA, always recommends that you, uh, you get your material tested for your application because it, it, it might be different. You might have a mill that produces a really, really small, fine particle size that, uh, that is a lot, lot smaller than what the, uh, the published data was. And NFPA also recommends the DHA be repeated uh, periodically as well. So you know, part of that DHA should be retesting the material 
built to make sure that the that the uh, the dust characteristics haven't changed as well. Yeah, there's a couple things that can come in here because we've seen in testing if you test the same material and you sieve it out using you know your standard sieves and get different particle sizes, you can get greatly varying explosion severity parameters in in terms of say KST as your your design parameter. Um, you know, by at least an order of magnitude, if you are using different particle sizes from that material. The question is then, you know, what particle size is involved with the explosion? In the case of a lot of operations, it's going to be the, the fines. But if there's a higher moisture content in those fines, then, you know, that's going to break it down as well. So the end, the end thing is the same material, even if you're processing it, with you know, very small changes in operating conditions can can produce quite a bit different explosion parameters. And that, if you're feeding that data into your explosion protection system design and it's uncertain if that data is right or correct then you know that's going to go right into your end design that that whole level of uncertainty we have seen other cases where say it wasn't accounted for that you might have a hybrid mixture of combustible dust and flammable gas and then the the system was under designed um, fortunately not enough to cause total destruction but to, to cause deformation of the the vessels when when they shouldn't you know the design was such that they shouldn't have deformation so you do see these input parameters if they're not estimated correctly, you know, leading to the potential to, to have loss of your, your equipment or even, even loss inside the facility. Absolutely. Uh, we, we've experienced that, that classic example that you mentioned. Um, we had a system that was designed for a certain KST and uh, there was a mill and a product receiver. And after 20, 25 years of, uh, of, of life at that mill, the customer replaced the mill. So 25 years of technological improvements, the mill produced a higher quantity of smaller particle sizes. So when the, uh, when the system got called into action, the deformation on the sidewall of the vessel. So we were asked to come in and, and investigate and try to understand um, what the situation was. So we took the, uh, the as-found material and we sent it out how to test it. And the original KST was around 100. And the new material with the much finer particle size uh, pr- practically doubled the, uh, the KST. And our model predicted that the um, existing suppression system um, would, would fail. So extra hardware had to, uh, had to be added for that application. So, I mean, I tell this story just to emphasize that um, NFPA's requirement for management of change is, is you know, it's a very real um, scenario where you may, have, um, you may have a protection system in place that may be inadequate because you're changing the process. Yeah, certainly. We've seen it in Canada and in BC with uh, Lakeland Mills and Babine Forest products. Um, it wasn't the explosion protection systems that were under design, but they did have a beetle infestation in a year that caused the the trees to be much drier, which caused the sawdust in the lumber mills to be much drier. Um, and that was believed to be a, a big attributing factor. Some, so some very large explosions they had there because you had a lot drier um, sawdust in the, in the sawmill that year. Uh, so yeah, it can create a much more destructive uh, material. I've kind of two directions I want to I want to go in. One, you you mentioned a bit about the process of calculating the number of vents needed or the number of bottles needed and, and what those system design parameters look like. Um, I was wondering if we could jump into that a, a bit more. Are you guys using equations provided in NFP sixty eight, or are you using your own proprietary models, or using you know computational computer models, or how or a little bit of all all of the above? How does uh, your team go about? designing these different types of systems? Sure. We, uh, for venting, we follow the NFPA 68 calculations, 100% prescriptive uh, methodology. So 
we have those equations put into an easy-to-use spreadsheet that allows the data to be inputted, but we still need to interpret the data. We still need to uh, confirm the proper sizing um, for each of the vents. Um, the most recent um, NFPA 68 release um, added some more complexity in the calculations in that the operating pressure now has an impact on the, uh, on the vent sizing. So most of the tra traditional vent sizing, I think there was an assumed operating pressure of about, um, uh, I don't recall, I think it was about 0.2 bar plus or minus. So you know, two, two, to, two to three PSI, whether it be negative or positive. Um, but they found out through testing and, and investigations of certain applications that when you have a, a higher vacuum application and the system gets called into action, uh, you need more vent area. And same on the positive pressure side. So we follow the NFPA 68 calculations um, to a T. With regards to the suppression, um, we have our own proprietary software that was uh, designed and developed by Dr. Peter Moore from uh, the UK. Uh, he's a longtime uh, Kida Fenwell uh, employee. And uh, his software, and which was his original thesis uh, for explosion protection, is the, uh, is the basis of our, of our model. It's uh, been updated and uh, modified through the years, but the core heat extraction calculations are the same ones that, uh, that Dr. Moore created, uh, oh, geez, 20, 30, maybe even more, 30 plus years ago. Yeah, I believe it. And you see some of those, you know, some of that research that was really important to, to capture. So I'm happy to hear that people are still using it uh, even, even today in, in the, the explosion design. Do you ever come across the cases where you have like a, a more complicated geometry or layout or even pressure piling is involved or do you really just try to isolate each piece of equipment so you can treat them with the you know the more i say i say standard but i hesitate to say that because um, it's it's uh it's downplaying something it's very complex but yeah is there any point where you you know you're looking at more complex systems and it's just really hard to come up with these type of uh either venting or suppression solutions sure sure i mean you know, the most simplistic application is the, uh, the open bin. So materials fed at the top, you have a bin, material level may rise or change, but you need to design for all conditions that, that may happen. This So that means you need to design it for whether it's full or whether it's empty or anything in between. So uh, a vessel like that is pretty straightforward. You know, you have, uh, you have a full volume. Uh, depending upon whether or not the L over D is less than two, it would be considered a comp vessel. If the L over D is greater than two, then uh, multiply uh, comes into effect, whether or not it's uh, venting or suppression. When you start getting into dust collectors, they're a little bit different. They, they're essentially an open volume when you're in the lower hopper and that, that, that volume below the uh, there's that's essentially open area. But now when you get into that volume in between the bags, it's what we call an included volume. So that's an area where Detection could be delayed, and more importantly, uh, suppression agent or or the effective vent area maybe by the uh, by the bags themselves, the filters, the media that's being used to separate the uh, the dirty air from the clean air. So we we do need to do special considerations uh, on those types of applications. Uh, the third case where you have a, a truly a complicated volume with um, probably baffles separating volumes, we treat each volume individually. 
So if there's a, a, a significant amount of um, obstruction by a baffle plate, we will treat each of those volumes individually. Yeah, that makes sense. I didn't think of that. But yeah, if you have like a dryer that has different um, segments to it and have, you have these plates in between, then, then treating them separately might work. Okay, I see. Yeah, I was thinking more of, um, I've seen some mills that have integral dust collectors, part of the overall hopper itself. So they have a, a, you know, you have a mill on one side, you have the integral hopper that connects the two, but uh, the filter itself is is essentially, you know, its own separate volume. And it's typically a baffle plate in there to, uh, you know, to minimize um, erosion from material flow going into uh, the filter itself. So, you know, those are different ways to treat those types of volumes. Yeah, and I hope I hope the audience is is getting appreciation that it can be pretty complex, and it's it's certainly not just cut a hole in the side of your vessel and and stick a piece of sheet metal on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, I, I wish they were all that easy. Some of them are, but uh, for the for the most part, um, the way I teach uh, my young design engineers, our application engineers, is is really we need to understand the process uh, to to a certain working knowledge as much as the customer. So we can locate our equipment, make good decisions, and um, put in detection events or the, uh, the with their nozzles. And selecting the proper nozzles for a given application really uh, goes to the overall efficacy of the system when it does get called into action. When you say nozzle there, you mean the nozzle from the suppressant system? Yes. Yes. We have different types of nozzles uh, depending upon what kind of an application we have um, whether or not it requires a subversion or corrosion resistance or food grade application. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, you, I'm not that well versed in, in different types of nozzles, but I understand that there, there would be different if you say if you had to throw the material farther, or like you said, if you need to stop material from building up so you don't have built, so you don't have, uh, so you can have a food grade. So it's not, I can't think of the right word. Hygienic, I think is maybe the word that we use. Yeah, yeah. hygienic, right. Okay, I think that that's a really good overview of considerations on you know designing these systems i do get this question quite a bit on okay so we we have a p-rad that's too low you know what do we do so we get one end of the question a lot of how do we estimate it say in a you know a a building or you know even a, a an old piece of equipment that is rusted out and i think it goes part and parcel say the the reduced pressure is just too low to protect what are some things that people can do I mean, they could buy a whole new piece of equipment. That's probably one. <laughs> oh, that's, that, no, that's, you'd be surprised. Um, that, that is a consideration. Um, when I do come across a customer that has either, oh, I mean, let's just call it an older vessel of, of suspect P-RED. Um, you know, the equipment manufacturer states that it's too old. Whatever P-RED it may have had when it was originally shipped is not valid anymore because, and it makes sense from the OEM standpoint, they don't know what temperature, pressure, cycling uh, the vessel's been exposed to. They don't, don't know if there's any erosion or erosion impact that may uh, thin the, uh, the, the attachments, the sidewalls, and, and all that sort of stuff. Um, so, you know, they, they typically have service life uh, that they'll stand behind their P-REDs. And again, that makes sense. I understand that. Um, but when we are given these types of applications, when we're looking at a very old vessel, we let the customer know the options are, one, you know, buy a new vessel. Number two. Um, we can assume a vessel, I mean, a P-RED, and, and possibly bring in a structural consultant to review the application to see if it meets it. If not, um, that structural consultant can provide stiffening recommendations and maybe doors and latch changes to, uh, to be able to uh, strengthen it to reach that point. 
or or the uh, the last option that we we explore is sometimes we might get into a suppression and venting combination. Uh, we call that a, a vent suppression hybrid uh, type three is what we call it at IEP. And basically, the uh, the primary uh, protection method would be uh, the suppression, and then we would add some explosion venting to um, provide some mechanical integrity relief if that P red is deemed to be too high for the vessel. So maybe we design an application and, and P red is about, let's just pick um, 0.5 bar and maybe we, we can add some venting to get it down to 0.2 bar. And then the customer knows that, you know, some deformation may occur, but with that combination on this older vessel, it, 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 it seems to be a good solution. Yeah. So there are a couple of things there. You can, you can strengthen the vessel, like you can bring in somebody and actually put in structural members or, strengthen the the vessel so you increase the p red um, or maybe using a hybrid approach where you're using venting and suppression and and you mentioned a couple other good ideas there do you come across this came up just a couple episodes ago actually in episode 78 of the podcast with a uh, suzanne smith from exponent we were talking about a, a case study for a grain dust explosion at a milling facility this is more on the isolation side but she was talking about this facility had a lot of separate milling lines. They're all connected with this kind of, you know, ductwork. But the ductwork wasn't really strong enough to put on isolation systems. Do you see that in in food processing very often? Um, well, we don't see it. I mean, I, I guess just to qualify my statement on this. Um, we certainly address it as part of um, any protection system that we provide. What happens is is you design a system for a vessel. Everybody's focusing on that, and you know you may or may not know your P red, you size it, venting or suppression solution. You, you may beef up the, uh, the, the vessel design with stiffeners to get a, a good enough P red, but then the ducting may get uh, ignored. Um, we've come across some applications where customers have used spiral wound ducting and, you know, when the system gets called in action, it just can't handle the reaction loads. Yeah. What's the P red of that? Well, <laughs> a, a P red of spiral is probably uh, just a few PSI. Um, but but it's not only the hoop stress that the uh, the duct needs to handle; it also has to handle the reaction load from the extinguisher as it's discharging agent. So that's that's probably the bigger force is is you know the shear that that piping is going to be subjected to when a you know a 900 psi extinguisher is going to discharge directly into it. So we are very clear in our our system drawings to let the customer know that uh, there are reaction loads when um, dry chemical or mechanical isolation provided. And also that the, uh, the pressures that the duct is gonna be subjected to is gonna be higher than what the, the P-RED of, uh, of the vessel is um, due to pressure piling. So we've done a lot of testing and we have our, our software to use, but um, so we've uh, standardized on two times P-RED is the pressure that the ducting needs to be able to withstand as well. And that's a conversation that our application engineers have with our our customers on every application as well. And what might happen then if if the ducting can't withstand that? Do they have to, you know, replace the ducting, or is there a way to kind of strengthen that out? Or um, no, usually it gets replaced. Um, usually, usually the uh, the spiral will just uh, a six or eight or ten foot section, whatever is required, gets taken out, and um, we require that. At the uh, the P red be two times the uh, P red of the vessel inside the ducting up to the barrier plus two diameters upstream of the barrier itself. So beyond that, then 
the precipitate. Either it's a mechanical barrier and there's no pressure, or once the agent does its job, it uh, it does uh, attenuate the uh, the pressure inside the um, inside the ducting. It's just just too hard to calculate. So two times the P red is what we recommend. Because we do get questions around that quite a bit, and then it has come up on previous episodes. Are there are there other materials that people should be thinking about um, that are having that's harder to estimate these explosion system explosion protection system designs with uh, that you're coming across? Well, I have been asked to provide um, explosion venting for silos that are made out of concrete, which I don't know how to calculate a P red for for vessels that aren't made of uh, ductile steel. So, you know, every now and then we we do get that request and. Um, that's something that's going to require some highly skilled uh, consultants, material experts to uh, to be able to address that situation. Okay, that makes sense. Any materials? I know, I think in our discussions, we talked about metal dust um, as well. Yeah, you're talking about uh, organic versus metal dust. Yes, yeah. All of the uh, the data and a lot of the explosion protection systems are typically based upon organic uh, dust and uh, in their characteristics. Um, a very, very large field in explosion protection that uh, we come across at times is uh, metal dust. And metal dust behave uh, a little bit differently than organic dust. We've, we've found that they uh, tend to burn two times, two to three times hotter than organic dust. And they, uh, they don't follow the um, scalability that organic dust to do as well. So um, we find out that the KST can increase with uh, a, not only the concentration increase uh, inside the vessel, but also with the size of the vessel. So there's really no scalability. Uh, it's very, very challenging uh, to do that with metal dust. And uh, since they burn a lot hotter, um, they tend to produce uh, much, much higher uh, reduced pressures as well. So metal dusts are, are special in a unique application that we come across in, in explosion protection. Yeah, and I'll share a personal story. It's not my personal story, but it was shared with me uh, because metal dusts are quite difficult. I call it, it's an open research area. I call it size-dependent explosibility parameters. So as you get bigger, they get more violent. Radiation appears to be the one of the main contributors of that because they burn so hot. Thermal radiation from the flame front actually heats the, the dust that's up, upstream from that. Um, and then that kind of preheats it and then that's hotter again. So then it preheats it more. So you get this, this flame that accelerates from this thermal radiation effect that isn't present if it's, if it's a smaller vessel, because it takes some distance for that kind of buildup to happen. Uh, but the, the personal story is, um, Dr. Christoph Proust, I've seen him give a presentation at the international symposium on hazards prevention and mitigation of industrial explosions on trying to decipher and map out this size-dependent explosibility of metal dust. And uh, he gave a pretty funny presentation. He basically said it was over 30 years of, of him trying to uh, construct a test that could illustrate and measure this. Um, and each test vessel worked great until he got to a certain size, and then he'd blow up his test vessel. <laughs> so he started with a small laptop one and, and went up, went up, went up. And eventually, the, the once it hit that kind of scalability limit, then the, the vessel blew up, and then he built a bigger vessel, and then he built a bigger one. So he's been, he's been working at it 30 years, but uh, he hasn't quite unlocked the mystery yet other than it gets worse as you get get larger in size. I know it's an active research area with folks like yourself um, and other explosion protection providers as well, because it, it, it is important for these facilities and industries that are handling these metals to, to have proper explosion protection in place. When it does go wrong, it, it can go very wrong with these sort of metal dusts. 
Right. Absolutely. And, you know, the, the original design approach with metal dust were put it outside, put a vent on it, isolate the and, and don't return the air back in. And that's okay for some applications and some customers were with their processes, but it, it's certainly not a fix for all the applications that are out there. So uh, industry uh, does need to, uh, to come up with these types of solutions for, for the folks that just uh, don't have that sort of latitude with their process. Yeah, and that will be something that we'll, hopefully we'll be able to, uh, to dig into more over the upcoming years, um, especially as I know it's a, an active area of, of research by the industrial practitioners and the universities and the industries that are moving so quickly with things like additive manufacturing and uh, other metalworking industries that you know, we, we're going to need to learn as we go. So that's a you know a great really great coverage of what is reduced explosion pressure, and then we sort of went beyond that to you know some pretty uh, pretty cutting edge topics or some pretty complex topics all around this, which I, I think is really interesting and you know important to cover. Any last thing you want to leave the the audience off with um, in terms of explosion safety or what they should be thinking about around explosion uh, protection system design? Follow the NFPA codes. They're they're out there to assist you. They're out there to help you. They're um, they extremely uh, really good guidance on how to deal with uh, extremely challenging hazards that are out there. And uh, that's a good starting point for you to become familiar with the different types of applications and protection techniques that are out there. Um, but at the end of the day, consult an expert. Um, when it comes to life safety and plant and personnel protection, uh, in addition to the property and the process equipment that you're protecting, um, you know, please please contact uh, an expert to be able to uh, to get the right protection system for your application. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And um, I consider, you know, Burke and the other folks at IEP within the, you know, the top of the, the world for people that are doing this um, type of work. So there are certainly, certainly ones to reach out and connect to. So I think that's it for this episode, Burke. I want to say thank you again. Thank you for contributing to the, the Digital Dust Safety Conference um, back in February of, of this year. And uh, thank you again for all the work that you're doing in industries handling combustible dust. Uh, absolutely. Thank you, Chris. And it uh, truly is my, my pleasure. And I appreciate your time as well. Excellent. Well, I'm sure we'll be talking soon. Take care. So you've been listening to myself, Dr. Chris Cloney and Burke Desatel, Vice President of Aftermarket Engineering with IEP Technologies based out of Marlboro, Massachusetts. And we've been talking all around this, this parameter of reduced explosion pressure. We talked about what is it? How does it relate to enclosure strength? Why is it important not to over or underestimate the parameter? And we talked about some different ways of how it's actually, you know, calculating the term. And we gave some great resources, the FM Global data sheet um, 776, and we'll try to get a, a link to that and put in the show notes. Um, NFPA 68 is the, the guiding document with, uh, you know, the information here that we covered. We went in some other interesting topics, you know, how do you deal, how do you deal with conditions where you can't get a, a high enough P-RED to actually protect what you might, what might you do in that case? You know, are, what are the differences between venting and suppression? What are the differences between different types of equipment, different types of ducting, um, building areas, that sort of thing? When it comes to determining P-RED and these design criteria, we talk about difficulties again with uh, with other materials as well, like metal dust. So I want to say thank you. We'll have a way to connect with Burke uh, at the show notes at dustsafetyscience.com/eighty-one. If you want to talk to him, you want to talk to the folks at IEP Technology. Other than that, I just want to say thank you for listening to the Dust Safety Science Podcast. I hope you have a, a safe and productive week ahead. I appreciate everything you're doing in industries handling combustible dust around the world. I look forward to talking to you next week as we continue to, to spread awareness and knowledge for combustible dust safety. 